Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. Details kind of, details kind of uh, ways to reduce the risk of stroke. And since we're all in that age group, it's uh, sensible for us to look at the different uh, uh, items. Uh, this is based upon an article that was actually in the uh, Washington Post last week that talked about uh, the fact that stroke is uh, going to increase by 50% in the next 25 years. And uh, I guess most of us know what a stroke is. Stroke is a cause. A stroke is a, a situation in which the brain is damaged by either a blood clot or which stops the flow of blood into the brain or a hemorrhage which damages and destroys brain tissue. And uh, uh, since this is becoming uh, very common, one of the things is to keep in mind that it is very closely related to management of your blood pressure. And uh, uh, as we look across the uh, the globe, uh, it's clear that uh, uh, stroke is the number two cause of death, with heart heart failure being the number one cause of death. Uh, and so there's a lot we need to do, especially since it is particularly involves people of color. Uh, we have more hypertension and diabetes and other ethnic groups. Uh, so one of the first things we need to do is to be able to check our blood pressure at home, at least twice a week to keep our blood pressure at or below 130 over 90 with or without medication. Say that because the group that seems to have the highest blood pressures as we screen patients is a group of people who know they have hypertension and are supposed to be taking their medications, but they aren't. Uh, and so uh, the important part of it is that uh, that you, you need to be sure that your blood pressure is controlled because that's the number one issue and number one cause of strokes. The next thing is to decrease your salt intake. Uh, uh, that article is a little tight on the salt control. I've usually used two grams per day as the, as the level. They, they suggest it's 1.5 uh, uh, grams per day, and, uh, and uh, uh, which is even lower than what I thought. But it is clear that salt, uh, uh, sodium, increases the uh, risk of high blood pressure, which is the number one cause of stroke. Then uh, a lot of people, as you age, get atrial fibrillation, where the heart is not beating as, as strongly as it was before. And of course, that would mean that your doctor would put you on uh, blood thinners uh, and uh, also normalize your heart rate. and. That's what must be done in patients who have atrial fibrillation. Otherwise, they will get blood clots and have strokes. Uh, high cholesterol level, actually, uh, John was talking about antiviral which is a medication to reduce the cholesterol level because uh, high blood cholesterol level increases the risk of stroke as well. Uh, and if you have, you have a question. But if, you, if you're a diabetic, then maintaining a, a normal blood sugar level 
leukemia, hemoglobin A1C below 7% becomes uh, important. Of course, if you're, you're, you've got sickle cell disease, one of the things we know is that the hemoglobin A1C is not how you measure it. You have to use fr 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 fructosamine levels rather than hemoglobin A1C if you've got sickle cell disease. But uh, without, if you don't have uh, sickle cell disease as normal, uh, hemoglobin A1C of less than seven is is ideal. Uh, then number six, get plenty of exercise. Uh, uh, we know that the minimum is uh, 30 minutes, five days a week. Uh, and this uh, doing at least 100 walking can reduce your risk of all cardiovascular diseases, including stroke. Now, one of the things we recognize now is that sitting is as dangerous as smoking. And sitting for more than 13 hours a day nearly doubles the risk of stroke. And then, of course, uh, still far too prevalent in this country and in Europe is uh, smoking, which doubles the risk of stroke. Although this risk decreases significantly after you stop for at least five years. Then uh, maintaining a healthy weight because uh, overweight and obesity is linked to an increased risk of, of stroke. And so knowing what your weight is and knowing what your BMI is, uh, and if your BMI is over 30, then you're going to increase risk of stroke. Then uh, nutrition plays a major role in uh, eating vegetables, less red meat, and more vegetables, fruit, seafoods is uh, a good way to, uh, uh, that's the proper nutrition that you need to have. Uh, and any of those issues is important. Limit salt intake, less red meat, more vegetables, fruit, seafood is important. Uh, there's a lot of uh, controversy about eliminating or decreasing the use of alcohol. Uh, you read a lot of articles and they are confusing because they say that uh, you can drink uh, one to four cups of alcohol, whether you're a man or woman, uh, a day. And uh, uh, probably the best thing to do is to eliminate it completely, although the Bible says a little wine for the stomach's sake is okay, but uh, I think you're better off without it. Then finally, controlling uh, controlling stress is uh, easy to say, not as easy to do, although meditation and prayer are therapeutic for reducing stress. Uh, one, stress event increases your risk stroke by 17%. Two, increases it by 31%. Uh, so meditation and prayer are, are things you do, among the many things that you can do, uh, to reduce stress, including exercises, as we mentioned before. But often meditation and prayer are not recognized as being therapeutic for reducing stress, but they are. Then finally, to know the signs of the stroke, if you notice any of these in yourself or someone, someone else, call 911 right away because you lose about a million brain cells in a minute uh, once you have a, a stroke. So you have numbness, weakness in the face, uh, confusion, 
trouble seeing in one or both eyes, trouble walking, dizziness, loss of balance, or severe headache. Those are reasons why you should uh, call 911 or get somebody to take you to the hospital right away. You shouldn't drive to the hospital because you might never make it. So these are some of the things that uh, are very important. Any, any, any comments or any additions or comments about these uh, ways to prevent stroke, which is so important for people at our age? Uh, Dr. Counter, I've been checking my, my blood pressure at home. And uh, when I first started, it was uh, my, my top number was in the 140s. Uh, I think the first time it was 147. So I, I know that's too high. But then I, uh, I, the last time I checked it, the top was 136. So I'm coming down. Great. And okay. I, um, I stopped my yoga for a while because I, I had I fractured my my rib uh, a couple months ago but I started back on yoga so that really helps with the blood pressure any other comments or no this somewhat hits home for me I have a very good friend or had a very good friend who um, had a massive stroke and it was just shocking because I saw her just a week or less earlier. And uh, within three days, she was gone. The funeral was last week. And wow. to myself, I said, how can you be so healthy? And then all of a sudden, life is taken away from you. Well, you know, after talking to family members, she did have some health issues. She was a diabetic. But as you say, Dr. Callender, all the time is so healthy to keep your doctor's appointments. And one thing you've always stressed is proper diet and exercise. Um, I don't know if some or all of these contributed. I just knew about the diabetic situation, but it was soon, it was sudden. And I never noticed any of these underlying conditions, but it's a personal thing. Now you just have to take care of yourself. And I say that all the time and my friends and I say it often now, that's an example of no day is promised to you. Take care of yourself. Do what you have to do now. Um, it was just so sudden. It was shocking. Yeah, so many of our people of color have either heart attacks or strokes and yeah. just 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 go away. So, yeah. And the older you are, the more likely you are to have some kind of event. And so. Yes. Uh, yes exercising, nutrition, and uh, we don't talk much about proper sleep, but that's also important part of it. Any other comment or uh, feedback? Okay, well, let's then go to, to the next. This is an article that uh, I put in because I thought it uh, it's an issue. There are two things that are so important in life. Uh, gratitude is one of them. Forgiving is another one. Uh, but uh, this is uh, how we all have uh, tough moments. All of us have tough moments. We have children who are sick. We have our own sicknesses. And uh, sometimes we think about how, how unfortunate we are. And uh, uh, then as things happen, you realize how, how blessed you are. 
because you're alive and uh, you have so many others who aren't. Uh, so many who aren't alive, some who aren't able to help themselves and so many ways in which we have been blessed to be alive in a, a relative degree of health. And so uh, as this article takes you down the line and just points out that uh, uh, in spite of the many things that are going on, if you look around you, you know, remember they talk about the person who had trouble with his feet until he realized that there's somebody around him who had no feet. Uh, and uh, so uh, one of the things that uh, helps you is when you, you look at other people around you and you kind of think about uh, uh, how, how important it is to be grateful for what you have. And uh, uh, even when you're uh, distressed and you have complications, still uh, uh, being grateful and appreciative is uh, something that we can always do because there's always someone next to us who is not as fortunate as we are. And uh, while we're grumbling and complaining about how tough life has been for us, uh, gratitude can often be a healing force. And that's, uh, uh, this is what Schweitz, Albert Schweitzer said. Times I don't like those items we can by a spark from another person. Each of us has called to think with deep gratitude of those who lighted the flame within us and appreciate uh, uh, the blessings that we have. And we don't take them for granted, but uh, thank God for all that we have, no matter how little you may think it may be. Okay, next one. Uh, any comment or feedback? Uh, These, uh, this is an article on foods that are good for your cholesterol. Very often when you have a high cholesterol, uh, dietary changes can be helpful, but sometimes that's not enough. Uh, some think of shellfish and eggs as being uh, associated with raising bad cholesterol, although that, there's a lot of controversy about that. Cholesterol is a uh, substance that is produced by the liver. And uh, we have two cholesterols, the HDL, which is thought to be good, and the LDL, which is thought to be bad. LDL is associated with heart attacks. High HDL is supposed to be protective from heart disease. Uh, cholesterol and other fats can block your arteries too, and uh, of course, that's what the problem is with the cholesterol is that you get deposits in your blood vessels that prevent the circulation, which then provokes heart attacks and strokes. Uh, what is kind of surprising is that uh, cheese, which is often thought of as a problem, is not uh, is, is often associated uh, with uh, HDL more than LDL, although uh, substances and uh, pro other products, for example, uh, green vegetable nose, ladies' fingers is 
is known to uh, lower the cholesterol by binding it. I don't know how many of us have that. Okra is uh, something that was common in uh, my family, in the West Indian family, and that's known to reduce the risk of heart disease. So, uh, lentils, lentils also are supposed to do that. Yeah. And so we're reducing the meat consumption. Uh, nuts is one of the uh, surprising ways that uh, you can lower your cholesterol. Hazelnuts, wa walnuts, pecan and almonds uh, uh, ought to be good. I don't recommend uh, salted peanuts, but of course, for obvious reasons. Uh, I, I don't know many of you know about tofu, but uh, tofu, uh, uh, when you scramble with eggs, can uh, help uh, cholesterol level as well. Omega-3 fats also uh, lower the blood triglycerides, and there's much talk about the role of omega fatty acids. I'm sorry, omega-3. Uh, vitamin C and E also are good to lower the cholesterol. So it's, it's, uh, it's you know, as, 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 as we talk about blood tests that you need to know about, we talk about the, the hemoglobin, and we talk about the hemoglobin A1C. Well, knowing your cholesterol and knowing what your HDL is and what your LDL is, it becomes important as well. As as a, as the uh, blood level that you uh, about you that you need to know about yourself as you uh, go on from day to day. I know many of you may like spinach or Brussels sprouts, collard greens, which uh, are also good to lower the cholesterol levels. Dr. Kelly, I had a question about uh, you mentioned uh, eggplant. And, I mean, okra, and uh, I had a question about avocado. So I've, I've had okra maybe twice in my life, and it just felt like it was really greasy. Is that true? Is that? Well, okra uh, uh, is good for lowering the cholesterol. It, it may be greasy, but it, it's also good for lowering the cholesterol. Okay. I mean, it, it's uh, counterintuitive. And what about avocado? Avocado also. Yes. Yeah. Uh, avocado also uh, uh, is thought to lower the cholesterol as well. Cool. Uh, I, I haven't eaten okra or avocado in a while, but avocado was one of the healthiest uh, uh, items that uh, we discussed that isn't mentioned in this article at all. Mm -hmm. All righty. John, this is Sylvia. I kind of um, bake my okra and it dries it out a little bit. You might want to try it, season it up and throw it in the oven. Olive oil, it. salt and pepper. Okay, I'm making that. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> what about fried okra? Well, okra is, is uh, uh, and for those who don't like the uh, uh, greasy taste of it, uh, 
fried okra is how how we usually had it. As a matter of fact, that's that's how I love fried okra. Yeah. Well, it depends on what you fry it in, because you could be picking up some bad fats from your oil, but you could always air fry it. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. My wife has an air fryer. I have one. I don't use it, but I have one. This is an article that says that uh, foods that we tend to like, ice cream, chips, and candy, are just as addictive as cigarettes or heroin. Uh, I guess that's open to question as to how addictive they are. There's no question they are addictive. Staying in the same class as cigarettes or heroin is interesting because uh, there are people addicted to everything you can imagine, including candy, chips, ice cream, so forth. And I, but I think what the point that they're making is that uh, uh, the ultra-processed foods and high-fat carbohydrate and sugar, and these uh, are not good for us. And uh, they are, they appear to be addictive because people can't stop eating uh, ice cream chips, cheeseburgers, french fries, and all those things. And uh, as they get uh, uh, more depressed, they eat more of these foods. And, and then in the final analysis, some of them are linked to cognitive decline, like dementia. But food addiction is not classified as a mental illness, although this author considers it such. Uh, I think Dal has talked about how uh, many of these addictions can be uh, done away with by just avoiding them for a period of six weeks or so. Uh, and uh, but uh, the food addiction issue is is something that is very contributory to bad health. Doctor Town, do you hear, hear of people having a sweet tooth? <clears throat> so they're addicted to sugar. Um, then you have people who are addicted to chocolate. You know, Snickers bar. Almond Joy, you know, all any kind of chocolate like that. Some Reese's, peanuts. yeah, Reese's. That's peanut, got peanut butter in that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that people are addicted to salt as well. You name it, people are addicted to it. <laughs> yeah, and and food is addiction. Certainly, is something that uh, is killing many people. Does chicken soup really help? Well, I think that's one of the things that is circulated widely is that if you get sick, you get some chicken noodle soup. And uh, uh, is it really beneficial? And this, this article talks about the history of uh, uh, soup and broth and how uh, it is good for you and the fact that uh, 
when you talk about chicken soup, you're really talking about not only the chicken in there, but all the vegetables uh, uh, that are there. And uh, uh, this article talks about the taste, the so-called umami taste, uh, and uh, that uh, uh, the healing properties are probably more related to many of the uh, ingredients of the soup that uh, uh, are help your nutrition. Uh, it's one of the common remedies that uh, people, uh, when they get sick, you want know, chicken soup, chicken noodle soup. <laughs> it, 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 it may uh, reduce inflammation and stuffy nose. Uh, uh, or is it just the hype about it, the fact that you think that it's going to do that? And this uh, article points out the key ingredients in the soups and the fact that uh, all soups are not alike. And uh, uh, some versions have a lot of antioxidants and some don't. And the antioxidants are thought to be the the core, as well as the vegetables of the core aspects of the soup. What are your thoughts about it? How many of you uh, take soup when you get sick? I love chicken noodle soup. Uh, the only thing is, I can't stand chicken noodle soup that doesn't have some salt in it. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I like it too. When I had COVID, I, I had a uh, chicken noodle soup, and I felt better. I don't know if I got well quicker, but I felt better. That's for sure. <laughs> and for me, I think it's a mental thing. If I'm feeling bad, I get chicken noodle soup, but I'm not making this a can of Campbell's. And uh, after I take it. Mentally, I guess I'm telling myself I feel so much better, and <laughs> generally I do. But hey, I don't know. But I love chicken noodle soup, especially when I'm <laughs> This is Sylvia. I love chicken noodle soup also, and a lot of times after um, my chicken and my turkey, I'll boil it and make my own broth, right. and then you can put it in the freezer and use it when you're ready to use it. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I think it's something in the broth that, that they say. Yes. Um, I, I've heard a lot about bone broth. You know very mm -hmm. much about that, Dr. Callender? No, I do not. Uh, uh -huh. Dow, you know anything about that? That's me. No, I, I don't. Okay. Yeah, they were like, boil your bones for several hours and all of the, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, the nutrients from the mm -hmm. bones would, you know, is is packed with a lot of vitamins. And so they encourage you to use bone broth. Mm -hmm. And you can get bone, they say you can get bones from the butcher and just boil them and put them in a slow cooker or a crock pot overnight and make your own broth. Mm -hmm. I've never done that, but I've just, you know, saw a lot of uh, discussions on that. I Back in the day, I used to hear my mom talking about bone marrow. So that's what's inside the bone. So that's that's what makes the bone so important so because all of our all of our blood comes from the bone marrow. Okay. 
So I think it's, it's amazing think that uh, when you go back uh, 1900 years before Christ, that Solomon talked about that in his in his in the Proverbs talks about bone marrow. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, you were saying something. No, I was saying back to the chicken soup. Uh, I think we're just addicted to chicken. Well, it's not, it's not the chicken, it's the soup that, <laughs> that is so important. It's the vegetables yeah. that really are in the soup that's uh, important. Well, while we may we may have a chicken love, but uh, it's the uh, vegetables in the ch it chicken noodle soup that really make it so important. This is a controversial article. Uh, <laughs> why diagnosing Alzheimer's early is so important. Uh, most of the clinical trials have not supported the fact that uh, uh, medication that does anything for Alzheimer's. Uh, and so if you have a, a disease for which there is no cure, the question is, oh, why, is it why is it so valuable to make an early diagnosis? This article suggests that IV infusion of this medication uh, delays the cognitive decline by 27%, which is uh, a third, well, close to a third, which is, uh, it may be helpful, but it's not a cure. And so, but what they're suggesting is that the earlier you use this, the better, the, the better, more likely you are to delay the progression of Alzheimer's. So if you actually believe this, then you would then uh, think that it makes a difference. Uh, and so uh, this then is uh, thought of as a reason why uh, you may want to make a diagnosis of Alzheimer's as early as possible. Uh, that's their perspective on it, it's not mine, because uh, I would feel better if you could give me an a number more like 50% or above uh, that uh, is helpful. Uh, we still uh, aren't absolutely positive that it's the amyloid buildup that is the problem in Alzheimer's. Uh, that's one of the theories and uh, uh, it may well be, but uh, the point is that uh, the data that shows that 27% improvement is is not as attractive to me as it is to the uh, people who have done this work. Oh, it's progress. It is showing that uh, uh, we have a drug, we're given IV that uh, can delay the progression of Alzheimer's. That's what they're marketing here. I heard it's very expensive also, Doc, right? Yeah, because it's very expensive and uh, it's it's not to me twenty seven percent effective is not that great, uh, but uh, but I think it's uh, a field that is wide open uh, for discovering medication that will really uh, impact Alzheimer's in a way that most people can recognize the benefit. Doctor Calendar, um, do you know of any? Uh, quick tests for discovering uh, early 
onset of dementia um, and, and separate those tests from just normal aging process when you lose your memory? No, I don't do not know. Uh, no, I don't know of a, because the, 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 uh, the gold standard is to go to a neurologist and let them do their uh, testing and a battery of tests <coughs> will uh, more likely reveal uh, the difference between the, <coughs> the normal aging process and Alzheimer's. Yeah, I um, I was with my mother when she had her uh, diagnosis, <laughs> and uh, you know, I I wasn't doing very well on the tests either. <laughs> they would say count count backwards from one hundred by seven. I couldn't do that. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, it can't. Uh, go through the alphabet backwards. Oh no! Come on, man! I, you know I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And then they had uh, a series of of numbers or objects, maybe three or four objects, and said, "Okay, I'm gonna give you these objects, and in five minutes, I'm gonna ask you to to name those objects again." Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do that either. Mom couldn't do it either. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, maybe I got it too. I don't know. Don't write it down. <clears throat> at, my, at my physical therapy, they have this machine that tests you. Um, they are, like you're saying, John, they uh, give you two articles, uh, like a tree and a fish. And then they'll add a third one next. And then you've got to say them back in the order that they will give it to you. Mm -hmm. And it goes on till you get up to six or seven words that you have to remember in the order that they will give it to you on the machine. And so they can test you there and see if you can go to, uh, you know, 30 words like Daryl could, you know. I noticed uh, the past couple of years with my physicals, the doctor does tests like that. I don't know if that's standard now for seniors to go through, you know, say these uh, five, see these five objects or say them, and then he'll talk about something else. And what is it we were talking about earlier? Mm -hmm. And we do the counting things. It's stuff that he wasn't doing before with my physical, mm -hmm. which John, I did pass. I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many words in a row did you go to? Seven, eight, nine? With five uh five words and oh. we talked just for a few minutes and it was like he was telling me he forgot or oh, what was those five things we talked about oh yeah it was da 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 da, -da. and it was some other little exercise but I came through it pretty well but I noticed previous years we weren't doing this part as um doing this as part of our annual exam or annual physical mm -hmm. so I guess testing testing the mind I don't know well, Janice, just listen to you. Uh, you don't have early onset. I don't. 
You yeah. don't know me very well. I've been crazy lately. <laughs> John, your hand was up, Buchanan. Did you have something? Okay. Oh, I, yeah, he's clapping. I think one of the best ways to notice Alzheimer's and seniors that if you know the person and you are around the person, just noticing the changes in them. Mm -hmm. You know, I was around my mom and day to day, you just notice the changes. They'll ask the same questions over and over or they'll do. So, you know, if you know the person and know their normal persona, when you see different things, you you realize that things are changing. Yeah. Yeah, when your mother says, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness my mom never said that, but she knew me to the end. But there were other signs that she, you know, she asked the same questions over and over or... Mm -hmm she someone would come to visit and she would know when they were there and a little bit later she if you say something about them oh i haven't seen them in a long time you know so yeah. just little things like that and you know things are changing <laughs> yeah i was a little bit of shame well a lot of shame because uh my mom would come over to, to spend on i had a computer class in the evening for adults right a lot of adults had phobias about, you know, technology and computers. Mm -hmm. and so she she would come to the class, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, I think maybe the third year of the class, she would ask the same question over and over uh, again. And I would get very upset with her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people say, well, why, why are you so mean to your mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> asking the same stupid question over and over. I just answered that. I mean, I got the negative attitude. I didn't learn until later what that was. That was like early, it was right. like, mm -hmm. early mm -hmm. signs of dementia. Yeah, right. Yeah. So true. Okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, <laughs> well, this is that weekend, huh? Uh, and uh, every year, twice a year, we go through this issue about the impact of this daylight saving time on your health. And uh, uh, it's amazing the number of uh, health issues that occurs. Uh, one of them is uh, cluster headaches. <clears throat> Uh, migraine. Uh, uh, it's interesting because this 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 is fall back in which uh, you actually uh, gain a, an hour. Uh, and uh, the other thing about it is that uh, headaches are just uh, one of the minor things. Then, of course, is the sad of the seasonal affective disorder that. Uh, really is uh, disturbing to many people. So many people have uh, mental problems secondary to the uh, SAD. Uh, but uh, actually, uh, the other problem is that uh, not only sleep disturbances, but actually, uh, actually 
heart attacks increase during this period. And uh, this is why many people think they should have one time period and not go back and forth with daylight saving time. Uh, apparently, uh, the mental health issues uh, associated with this uh, are also significant. Dr. Kellner, um, the amount of daylight changes regardless of if you change the time. So the seasonal affective disorder, I don't think has anything to do with, with the time, with, you know, fall back or uh, spring forward. It's, it's the amount of, of daylight causing seasonal affective disorder. Whatever way you may call it, it is a, a type of depression that uh, uh, is uh, alarming in terms of its impact upon people. Uh, what you say is true, but that still seasonal affective disorder is, uh, triggers a depression that uh, lasts until, as you mentioned, the, the uh, daylight increases. <laughs> Uh, but uh, in, in my view, this may be one of the most important uh, issues that uh, I see, the mental issue, but also the physical issues that uh, are associated with the uh, coronary artery disease, uh, heart attacks, and those kinds of things that this article doesn't talk about uh, too much, uh, are some of the things that... Uh, have caused people to strongly uh, advise that we should do away with it. But uh, what are your thoughts on it? Those of you who, who, any of you have sad seasonal affective disorder? My, my spouse does, and it, it, it's bad. She has to use a light box. Uh, but, you know, all, all I'm saying is kind of like what you just said just changing the, the time doesn't affect that uh, sad. It's, it's the amount of light. So I, I mean, there's plenty of other issues, the, the issues with the, the headaches and the migraines and all that stuff uh, definitely is affected by changing the, the cycle. Cause I mean, your, your body has uh, uh, like a six, a 30 day cycle. What do we call it? circadian circadian okay. rhythms, and when when you change that on the clock, that can mess up stuff. That I, I believe that. On yeah, a, yeah. Go on ahead. A lighter, on a lighter note, it I hate it simply because I have to go around the house and change all the clocks. <laughs> it, it needs to stay the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, and, and you know, while they talk about it twice a year, they never really haven't done anything about it, yeah. one way or the other. Uh, I think the uh, they talk more about the cardiac issues because they have done studies that identify that you have more heart attacks uh, when you spring forward uh, and. Uh, why that is the case, uh, I'm not sure, but there is a correlation. 
So you lose that hour of sleep. Yeah. Um, there is a initiative out there somewhere where they're trying to make the United States all on the same time zone. Uh, it hasn't gotten off the ground too much yet. Well, once a year they they have that dialogue. Yeah. But uh, and uh, because it was in the uh, Congress of the United States and uh, and it got close to it at one point, but uh, we'll see what what happens. My question is: uh, Will that change anything about depression and all that? I guess we'll have to wait and see. I don't know because it, I don't know. Mental health is one of the things that has become a crisis in epidemic proportions. And so it'll be interesting to see its impact upon uh, depression. This is, this is an article that uh, kind of surprising to me that uh, certain medications that are linked to sudden cardiac arrest in patients with type 2 diabetes. And uh, some antibiotics and antipsychotics uh, have been associated with an increase in people dying suddenly. 50% of all cardiac deaths uh, related to sudden death, you know, and sudden. Somebody doesn't wake up in the morning. Uh, and uh, why this uh, association with type 2 diabetes is a question because there it is recognized as a uh, fact that people with type 2 diabetes are associated with not waking up in the morning, a higher incidence of that type 2 diabetes, but understanding exactly why, it's not clear. And they talk about the uh, EKG changes with prolonged QT intervals, which is uh, uh, what you notice on the EKG, PRST, QT. And uh, they found that uh, those people who are on this certain antibiotics and certain macrolides and certain antipsychotics were those. Uh, and uh, so uh, these, are, these are not studies that, that really have been done in the United States. But outside of the United States, the question is, uh, do we have studies in the United States similarly to uh, identify whether or not these macrolides and these antipsychotics should not be given to patients who are uh, type two diabetics. And they list uh, some of the uh, uh, medications that, uh, and they you see the fluoroquinolones, the macrolides, and the haloperidol is another. It is a psychotic that they mentioned. Uh, and the data are suggestive in the, those areas. Uh, but it's not 
significantly enough to affect in this country uh, the way in which antibiotics and antipsychotics are used in people who have type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is the commonest diabetes that we have in people of color. Uh, and uh, this is a cause of alarm and the cause we need of studies to identify if this uh, is uh, valid for for us. So this is very suggestive, but uh, uh, I'd like to see more studies done in the United States on our people to see if this warrants uh, the avoidance of use of these antibiotics and antipsychotic medications. People have type two diabetes. Dr. Counter, I, I, I see this, but do they know why? Yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 yeah, they're pointing to the fact that uh, the QT interval is uh, something you see on the EKG, uh, where if you if it's too wide, then the heart will stop beating. So it's interaction with the rhythm, and, and as as we know that many of the deaths, sudden deaths that occur, occur because of cardiac arrhythmias, uh, where the heart just stops beating. And uh, so the the uh, thinking is that it's the QTC prolongation that is uh, the problem. And, and this causes the arrhythmia that uh, causes sudden death. That's the thinking behind it. It's, it's just hard for me to, to understand or, or even conceive of antibiotics being in the same category as antipsychotics, <laughs> you know. Well, it's just that both of these uh, medications prolong the QT interval, and since uh, prolonging the QT interval is something that is associated with heart stopping beating, uh, that's the association. So uh, they, the drugs on don't have to be similar, except in the way that they affect the heartbeat. Okay, thank you. Now, the only problem with this is that it hasn't done in our, among our population, and that's what I'd love to see more of. John, can you scroll up so I can see what those the medicines are? Again? Yeah, macrolide, that, that doesn't help you, but uh, Fluoroquinolones are special kind of antibiotics, and uh, haloperidol is an antipsychotic that is commonly used. Now, uh, but they all produce that same QTC prolongation, which is seen on the EKG when you look at the way the heart beats. You see that it beats in an orderly fashion. And if you prolong uh, the interval between the Q and the T, uh, then in some instances, this uh, causes the heart to stop beating. So um, I thought that there was uh, allopurinol, which is sometimes used to fight gout. Right. 
Yeah, but this didn't. Uh, Alipurinol was not one of the ones that they mentioned. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. Yes, I think. Yeah. Alipurinol is uh, like, anti-psychotic medication. Yeah, you, you what was the question? No, I I was. My husband is asking me about some of his med. He's a diabetic, so <clears throat> it piqued his interest. Any common name drugs, antibiotics that would fall in this category? Well, fluoroquinolones is are a category of antibiotics, but that's not that common. Most of the antibiotics that we use are not fluoroquinolones, okay. but there are some. Okay. The common antibiotics are not fluoroquinolones, uh, but when you talk about fluoroquinolones, uh, I'm trying to think of a name of some of them. Uh, I'll look it up while we do that. Okay. Yeah. Um, now this is a challenge for vaccination. It uh, seems like uh, most Americans are not getting the COVID vaccine, and uh, it's a cause for alarm. The RSV uh, vaccine is uh, uh, question is are they having quantities sufficient for that? And uh, uh, how many of you have already gotten your uh, COVID shot? I have. I, I got this all three. I, this is Sylvia. I got all three, including the flu, COVID, and the RSV. Good, good, good. That's good to hear. Yeah, we, we've gotten flu and COVID. I haven't gotten RSV yet. Okay. Uh, well, I've gotten my uh, flu shot. I haven't gotten my RSV or my COVID. Anybody have difficulty getting it or finding it? Yeah, RSV was hard to find, but as soon as it came available at Kaiser, uh, they started signing people up. I had my flu shot, and um, when I went to get my COVID, previously my COVID uh, shots had been Moderna, but I couldn't find Moderna now. And I know at one time you said it doesn't matter. Doesn't. Or does it? No, it does not matter. Whether you get Moderna or Pfizer, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But the fluoroquinolones that you asked about, cip ciprofloxacin, uh, Levaquin are the common antibiotics that are for fluoroquinolones. Uh, so anyway, those are that isn't uh, as common as uh, as some of the other antibiotics. But anyway, that's the that's that's the name of some ciprofloxacin. Uh, would be the commonest of those. Okay, thank you. 
Look at you, Dr. Callum, the technology fluent. You're looking on your phone and asking AI to name some things for you. Yeah, it's progress, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I guess uh, it's November now. Today is November 2nd. So this is the month that we need to get all of those, all three of those vaccines if we can. Because the flu season starts this month and by the end of this month. Now, I wanted to make a comment. Uh, if we mentioned last week, you know, not to uh, become complacent about your prevention uh, methods, you know, hand washing, uh, social distancing indoors, especially, and mask wearing. Uh, I had two, two friends. In fact, one of them was at Kevin's funeral and called, called Major the next day, and she was standing, like, right behind us. She really? Had, yeah, she had COVID, you know. Uh, but, you know, it's to me, it's like common sense. If, if you got a sore throat, you start coughing, you don't go back out, you know, mm -hmm. inside, you know, it's it's like it's so selfish for people to to, to to do that not be considerate uh i mean if somebody's not vaccinated and they get COVID, they can die so it's like you're you're like a you know a loaded weapon it was interesting before the uh that uh celebration there are a number of people who didn't come to the celebration because they had COVID. uh it's important to remember if you're going through airports, uh, you need to still wear those masks, as, as John has talked about, because this is the flu season. And uh, on the airplanes, you're pretty good, because they've got a good uh, ventilation system. But uh, in the airport and in uh, closed places, uh, it's still important to, to wear the mask. I'll be traveling this, this weekend, uh, going to Mexico. And uh, in the airport, I will have my mask on. On the plane, I'll keep the mask on unless I'm eating. Probably the wisest thing to do. Okay. Now, this is an article that talks about uh, hmm. risk of strokes because some of the uh, vaccines had been associated with uh, clots. And uh, so uh, there have been some studies that demonstrated the, the correlation of uh, COVID shots with stroke. You know, it's uh, three for every 100,000 shots given. That's uh, particularly, which is so small. Unless you're one of the three. Yeah. So uh, now that reminds me that for your flu shots, you got to remember that if you're over 65, you get the, the mm -hmm. heavy, the double dose mm -hmm. uh, because you, your immune system is not as strong as the others. So remember that you ask for the double dose. 
the high potency one. Uh, so you don't just take the flu the flu shot. You take the high potency flu shot, and you ask specifically for it. And they have it, but you have to ask for it. Well, usually if you're over 65, but you know, if you're in early 60s, uh, they won't give it to you unless you ask for it. Do you all remember to ask for the high potency shot? Yes. Good, okay, all right. I think I forgot to ask that, Dr. Count. This is Sylvia, I just, you know, when I went to um, Costco, you know, I checked the um, box COVID and um, RSV and the flu, but I, he didn't mention, the pharmacist didn't mention anything about the high potency. I have to look at my, my report and see if that was done, but I forgot to mention that. My primary care physician administered my flu shot. So, you know, I'm sure he gave me what was required because he knows my age very well. Well, that's not good enough. Hmm. Yeah. That's good enough. You should remind them. Right. Uh -oh. Mine was done by my primary care. And I asked and double asked. And uh, and it was. How, how can you tell if uh, if you already got it? I mean, you know, I'm, you can't. I'll be 74 on Monday, I think. Is it Monday? Yeah, yeah Monday. And so they 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 should know <laughs> I'm old enough to get it. But if if I were looking at my record, would would it say on the on the vaccination record? Well, I'm not sure. It's 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 high potency, HP, is what it would say. Uh, whether that's on your record or not, I'm not sure. Uh, I just know that when I went to get mine, I I checked off uh, the high potency one. Uh, so that they to make sure that they gave it to me, but then I'm much older than you, so it's, <laughs> it's more important. Uh, but uh, I, I I just try to get everybody to remind them just in case they forget and just give you the regular dose. So the 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 uh, important topic here is if, if you get the flu shot and the COVID shot at the same time, that's the high risk factor. Yeah, and I, that that's that's a good point. And uh, uh, most people don't get it at the same time. Uh, and recently the Pfizer's looked at combining the two in one shot, but that has not yet been approved by FDA. We got our shots with a day in between. One day we got flu and then skipped a day. And then the next day we got COVID. Yeah. Right now, that's the way to do it. I was glad I didn't have any side effects at all. Zero. Zero here. Wonderful. Good. Good. Okay. Next one. This is an article that talks about a new variant uh, that is more common now and uh, is effectively protected against by the uh, updated uh, vaccine. Uh, 
But the, the, their concern is that uh, not everybody has been vaccinated. And uh, 3.5% of the population has been vaccinated, which is uh, scary. So what it makes you think that people are complacent and uh, that we're going to have a rough flu season. Yeah, what, what that also means is that those people that get it are going to allow that, that virus to continue to, to, Flourish. Mutate, to mutate. Right. For more variants. That's that's the problem I, I see. Yeah. Okay, well, I don't know what else to say except that uh, it's discouraging that uh, people have not uh, received a shot yet, but let's hope that uh, this month uh, makes up for, for October. Most of the CVSs now have uh, the COVID shots. I don't know about the. Did you did you you have trouble getting the RSV? Did any of you have trouble getting the RSV? When I went the first time, they did not have. But then a, a week later, they said, "Well, when I went for the COVID shot, they said it it would be in shortly, and like the next day, I could make an appointment." Okay. You talked to Count, I believe about two weeks ago when I called Costco, they said you needed a prescription because they didn't have the approval just to give it. But when I went back to get my shots, they had lifted that waiver. So um, I was able to get the RSV just walking into Costco and the COVID and the flu. Great. So I saw three shots at one time. But as I said, I forgot to ask about the um, uh, if you're over 65 for the COVID. So what do we do if we... If we no, no, well, not, not, for, not for the COVID, for the flu. Right. Yeah, I'm sorry, for the flu. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just saying for the COVID, for the RSV, at one point they mm -hmm. had indicated you need a prescription. And then when I went back uh, to get my shot for the RSV, um, they no longer had that, that requirement. Right. Okay. Next article. This is just an article that, you know, we talk about the uh, protection that the immune system gives us and uh, how important it is. And this is an article that doesn't a dissection of the immune system and talks about how how many uh, millions of uh, lymphocytes and uh, protective uh, white cells we have in the body. And uh, it's not expected that you would remember this, but just to appreciate the fact that we have a T cells, B cells, and other cells that are so protective of us and that most often uh, the vaccines uh, stimulate these cells to multiply and uh, be even more protective. And uh, there's just an article to uh, 
kind of remind us of the importance of the immune system and the fact that uh, we have millions of cells like this that are protecting us. And the greatest barrier to all of this is our skin, uh, which is uh, one of the largest organs in the body and uh, which protects us uh, in large measure from uh, foreign substances getting beneath the skin. Uh, and uh, it's just amazing how, uh, how we have a, a human body that is so many defenses against foreign invaders. The only thing it doesn't protect against is our own human being, other human beings uh, trying to destroy us. And so when you see these wars going on, it's just uh, horrifying. Uh, so, some people say that war is hell. Well, uh, uh, it's just horrible to think of so many people fighting and killing each other when so many people are fighting to live. But uh, anyway, I thought it would be just a good idea to just remind us of uh, how many ways in which the human body is prepared to protect us from foreign invaders. If only we as humans would be uh, as protective of one another rather than destructive. Uh, Dr. Callender, when uh, Dr. Atto and I were in the uh, immunology uh, training over at the NIH, we learned a lot about the uh, immune system. And they, they told us that our immune system could recognize over 3 trillion different surface structures of antigens and could develop uh, responses to over three trillion different invaders. It's, that, that to me is amazing, 10 to the 12th power. It is, it is, it is. And this article recapitulates that. Okay, let's go to the next one. Now this is uh, the fact that endo-air systems are crucial to the curbing spread of viruses. Uh, and, and that's why in many ways, uh, if you're indoors and they don't have a, a good air system, you're in trouble. Whereas uh, these systems are efficient and effective. Um, that's why that's why in an airplane for the most part you are protected uh, because they have a good indoor uh, inhalation system and uh, in hospitals they have similarly but when you go to uh, restaurants you're not sure what kind of uh, system they have uh, and that's why, uh, if you're not sure, you probably need to wear a mask. Dr. Kellen, I had a question on the previous article. Quick question. Um, John, you and Dr. Atto uh, went through that training. Um, uh, talking about the immune system, uh, how much of that study was on the... Uh, subatomic level, you know, um, molecules 
<laughs> yeah, no, not not subatomic. No, cellular. That that, that was yeah on on the cellular level. Okay, okay, because um, you know molecules have a lot bigger. You got cut off, John. Okay. <laughs> He's on the phone. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I think this uh, uh, just reminds us that uh, uh, we need to continue to be masked. As, as uh, Buchanan had pointed out, we can't be complacent because we're heading into the flu system. And uh, ventilation is not always there so we have to protect ourselves and it's not it shows that with ventilation how much the infection decreased by at least 80 percent but uh, uh, we don't know exactly how much ventilatory support we have when we go to different locations if you look at that photo that's exhaust from somebody's mouth you know, even though it's it's smoke, but that's the same way that viruses spread. You know, <laughs> kind of scary. <laughs> you know, I was gonna blow that up, but it was too scary. <laughs> yeah, Doctor Calendar. On a side note. Um... Your advice was right on. I just called my doctor's office. And even though they know my age, they gave me the regular dose. And they do not even have the double dose. Um, so I said, well, I'll come back. They said, no, we're out of flu shots. So yeah. what do I do now? Do I just go get it again? Is that what I should do? Well, that's an interesting question because uh, uh, what I would think that might be the best idea is to uh, get a high potency shot wherever you can get it. Okay. Well, and uh, you might find it at CVS. Okay, but definitely. But you got specifically asked for high potency because it's a double dose. Exactly. And it's not like you can get the regular dose twice. No, I don't know that that doesn't. So I, I, I think you would need the high potency. Uh, and it's uh, interesting that uh, the people you rely on who should know better don't necessarily do better. She said she thought I was 35. <laughs> next, next one, please. No comment. No comment to that. Okay. Yeah. This is mentioned. We talked something about this and the fact that uh, we talked about people in a coma can hear what you're saying often, even though you don't know it. And uh, this is a study that, that evaluated consciousness during sleep. And uh, <laughs> they found out even though people are asleep, they could answer questions, <laughs> which, which is remarkable. Uh, depending on what kind of, whether they had rapid eye motion sleep or not. And so they did tests on these people who were sleeping. 
and uh, they were able to get uh, uh, responses. And it's 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 interesting that when they were awake, they didn't remember interacting at all. So uh, it's it's interesting. So so actually, the reason I thought this was interesting is because. Sometimes when you're in a room with somebody who's supposed to be unconscious, you presume they can't hear you talk, but you should presume that they can hear you talk. And therefore, you need to monitor your conversations around people who are presumed to be unconscious and around those who are presumed to be sleeping <laughs> as well, because sometimes they can hear you. Dr. C, what is narcolepsy? Narcolepsy is a, a condition in which people uh, are speaking to you. They fall asleep while they are speaking to you. And then they may wake up afterwards and, and continue the sentence. Uh, so we have an, I have a friend who's narcoleptic and uh, uh, they will in midstream of conversation fall asleep mm -hmm. and, and then wake up and continue their conversation. So. It's not a common condition, but it's something that you see every now and then. Uh, and uh, there's a treatment for it, but uh, but uh, for the most part, uh, these people, uh, uh, even though they sleep while they're talking to you, and they wake up and continue their conversation as though they hadn't fallen asleep. Do they uh, start back? At the point where they left off. Yes, yes, they do. Yeah, I've only interacted with one person in my life who was a narcoleptic. Uh, but my wife has inter interacted with a number of people who are narcoleptic. Any of you, Doctor Calder? I know of a guy who claimed he had narcolepsy, but really he was high on heroin. <laughs> that's different. <laughs> yeah, that's different. Yeah, it's called nodding. You're right, John. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyways, just to know that this condition exists. This, this is something I thought was important for us to know about. So many of us may use agraps. A number of different conditions. And so they, FDA flagged uh, 26 eye products because uh, they felt that uh, they were producing infection. So... Are these the store brand um, products? Yeah. Not well. A full list. You, you can look at that. You can click there and get a full list of the eye care products that the FDA identified. Okay. Okay. This is the list coming up. Okay. Oh, okay. That's a good reason. You know what, Dr. Calder, possibly some of that could be um, germs from the fingers 
getting too close to that. Well, th this is where the germs are in the eye drops. That is the fingers. Got it. It's amazing, 26 products. Wow. A lot of people have dry eyes. Or more. Yeah. And so they they have to use these eye drops to keep the eyes lubricated. It's an article that uh, uh, identified that people who are older people who are sedentary, if they got exercise intervention, it slowed down the kidney function decline. And uh, this then is recommended. Uh, and it talked about the average number of steps daily uh, and how as they increased the number of steps, they, there was a decline decline in the rate in which the kidney function was lost. It was just a, another way of a call to talk about how important exercise is in all health, especially kidney health. It's amazing that you think that exercise would enhance the glomerular function of the kidney, but it does. A lot of studies that are identifying that there are so-called senescent factors, which uh, uh, increase the rate at which uh, your organ functions decline. And if these substances are eliminated, uh, the tissues that respond uh, by becoming vital again. And so the aging process is a process which can be altered. If you find out what are these so-called senescent factors that causes the vital cells to go to sleep or even die. And this is a new phase of, of uh, research, looking at these uh, so-called senescent factors uh, that uh, uh, put our uh, that uh, uh, put our, our cells to sleep. Have you heard that term before, senescent factor? Yes. But that, that, that means that uh, factors that uh, cause our, our tissues to age and and to not be. Uh, cause the mitochondria and other things to cease to function. And the more you exercise, the more you activate those things. This is a, a article that has caused some concern because so many people uh, are on PPIs, proton pump inhibitors for GERDs. And uh, uh, there's this a study that suggests that you had an increased dementia risk if you took PBIs for a long period of time. 
That's what this article is about. That's, since GERDs is so common, it becomes important to recognize this, although uh, whether this relates to people of color or not remains to be seen. But it was interesting. If you're over 90, it didn't matter. <laughs> but if you're under 90, it seemed to matter. But remember, these, these are studies that were done in uh, Copenhagen and other areas where they don't have many black people. So whether that relates to us or not uh, remains to be seen. And that's why the things we have to look at when we get studies done is where are they from? Uh, are they people who, who look like us or not? And that's why we have to have more studies that involve people of color so we can know whether the studies relate to us or not. Yeah, Dr. Campbell, I, I have heard um, pretty serious uh, before I was taking the medication and I was using Prilosec, it's uh, over-the-counter medication that I read maybe a couple of years ago, maybe when we first started, I first started coming to the to the group. I remember. That uh, constant use of that. Now, I, I don't know, maybe I, maybe Daryl would know whether Prolisec is a, a, what is it, a PPI? It is. It is. What what about, because um, my, my doctors took me off of that. It gave me a different word, famotidine. Is that What's the name of it? Famotidine. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know if that's if that's a PPI. Daryl, do you know? Famotidine. I'll look it up for you. Okay. Oh, doc. Yeah. Yeah, um, I got a friend named AI. Most of my friends, right on point. Hmm. They're they're both uh, over the counter. I'm huh? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Go up on the article, John. It doesn't say, uh, let's see. <laughs> it doesn't say whether it's a... That's uh, it. doesn't say what it's uh, oral is. Or it says this is an H2 antagonist. I don't know what that means. Well, it's H2 antagonist is not, uh, it's not a protein pump in the everything. That's hydrogen. <laughs> I I think that it may, might make it okay. I'll ask my, my doctor when I see it. Yeah, it, it, it apparently is not a uh, PPI. 
Although this is an interesting article, uh, again, it's an association that uh, may or may not be uh, appropriate. But it, it, at least in this Danish registry, it was associated with uh, uh, increased dementia risk. Now, whether that relates to people of color or not, uh, we don't know. Uh, it's an interesting article that some men may uh, love to see that exercise is as good as Viagra. Whether that's uh, true or not remains to be seen. But anyway, this article suggests it's uh, uh, it's it is good for ED. It, to to say that it's as good uh, as uh, Viagra is uh, as uh, a stretch, but it certainly uh, promotes uh, uh, erectile function. Yeah. And when it says it's similar, they, they don't go into the detail to uh, tell us how similar it is, but uh, we know that uh, erectile dysfunction is markedly improved in people who uh, take Viagra. The extent to the improvement with uh, exercise is not detailed. So, uh, but anyway, it's, it, it certainly will improve uh, erectile dysfunction. So, so exercise seems to help almost everything. This is another article, and I guess better stop here because it's 1030. Um, <laughs> this is an article that said if you uh, snooze for another 30 minutes, that that uh, improves your cognitive ability, <laughs> which is an interesting thought that uh, uh, snoozing uh, uh, was as good as uh, playing chess. Uh, which is quite a statement. But anyway, uh, they did uh, uh, point out, it's amazing, they do research on everything you can imagine. I would never have thought of uh, doing that uh, uh, research on finding out whether if you snooze for another 30 minutes or, or jump up, that it would make a difference. And lo and behold, they did this study and found that snoozing uh, had uh, clear effects on the cognitive. But it only, uh, if you snooze for 30 minutes or longer. Yeah. And, and, and that, so they only know about 30 minutes now. If you're shorter or longer, they weren't sure, but, uh, but uh, that's a, Amazing. Do you you hit the snooze button when you wake up, or do you use an alarm clock? I usually don't. But uh, I had a question about cortisol. What is that? Cortisol is a substance that is produced uh, by the adrenal gland, and anytime you're stressed, uh, and so it's a uh, 
product that uh, whenever you wake up or any 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 uh, stressful uh, situation, waking up may be one of them, causes an increase in cortisol. Uh, so it's a hormone that the adrenal gland produces uh, whenever you have any stimulation. This this article validates the fact that when my husband wants me to get up to cook breakfast and I lay there for another 30 or 40 minutes, I'm doing the best thing for my health. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, it does. <laughs> For your mental health, anyway. <laughs> my husband said, no, I'm not doing the best thing for my health. <laughs> okay. Is this the last one or is there another one? Oh, well, this is something we really never talked about. But uh, it's interesting because after, after Hamas attack, where they killed all the Jews, a lot of the Jewish people, uh, uh, Jewish... Americans are, are arming up because a lot of people are talking about killing Jews because Hamas said you should kill Jews wherever you can find them. There's a situation that I've never seen before where a group attacks somebody and kills people and they then uh, are, are talking about killing Jews. So it's an interesting phenomenon uh, that... Yeah.